Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation as usual as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. Right, here we go. What you think about Well, hi, everyone, and welcome back to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and we are going to be talking about pioneership in dementia care. How do we improve it? How do we, how do we look at it differently? How do we test different things out? And we have a wonderful guest with us, Benjamin Sermi, with us, and I'll, I'm going to introduce you in just a second, but first... Uh, for those of you that are new, I want to welcome you to our show. Alzheimer's Speaks was created because my own mother lived with dementia for 30 years, and I was one of those frustrated daughters that wanted services, products, and tools. I wanted to hear from people in the trenches of what is really working and what's not, um, and how do I deal with my emotions. And so that's what the show is all about. We talk to people all around the world at all levels, from those diagnosed to family members, to businesses, professional, business professionals, um, researchers, advocates, uh, you name it. And so maybe, just maybe, you can be our next guest. If you've got a story that think uh, the world needs to hear, please reach out to me at radio at alzheimerspeaks.com. This show is live today, so you can call in if you'd like. That number is 323-870-4602. That's 323 323- Eight seven zero four six zero two, or you can listen to this anytime uh, after the show is over as well. Uh, what uh, what do I want to tell you? Uh, some exciting things are going on. You know, we just updated our website on alzheimerspeaks.com, so please check that out. We have one whole page dedicated just to free educational resources. We know what your needs are because we've we've walked that journey and we continue to do that with you. So there are things like access to the radio show, to dementia chats where the true experts speak on various topics, those living with the disease. And they have such keen, keen insights that can help us. Memory cafes, you can access a dementia map with over 150 categories that you can search, as well as a calendar of events and and glossary of terms, because we all know we don't know what we don't know until we find out we don't know it. And we want to make that journey a little bit easier for you. There's also um, public events you can find uh, that we we host um, on our site as well. So please, again, go to alzheimerspeaks.com for further information. We are going to hear from the Adaptive Equipment and Caregiving Corner about the foot bar walker, which is just an incredible walker that really reduces injury, builds core strength, and just makes life easier for those in need of a mobility assistance tool as well as those caring for them. When we come back, we are going to be talking with Benjamin Sermi. I love the foot bar walker, and let me tell you why. It is the option for my toolbox that I've been waiting for. Let's be honest. There are some clients who, despite our best rehab efforts, just aren't able to return to performing a sit-to-stand transfer on their own. Now I can offer my caregivers an easier, safer option that doesn't involve hoisting their loved one up from a sitting position. I don't recommend this walker for all of my clients, but I do recommend this walker for those caregivers looking for an easier, safer option with transfers. I would also encourage other therapists to add this walker to their toolbox. It's kind of like having my own mobile parallel bars for the client to pull up on. Whether it's a family caregiver at home helping a loved one with Parkinson's or dementia, 
CNAs in a long-term care facility assisting their patients, or therapists adapting to client and caregiver-specific needs, we now have a very safe and effective option to offer in the Footbar Walker. Check this product out at thefootbarwalker.com. That's it for today from Adaptive Equipment and Caregiving Corner. Have a great day, and don't forget, if you can't do it, adapt it. And don't forget to check out the Adaptive Equipment and Caregiving Corner themselves. They have all kinds of great reviews on a variety of products. So if you've had a knee or a hip replacement or need some uh, assistance uh, in grooming or eating, it's absolutely fabulous there. Well, let's get to our show today, talking about improving dementia care. Um, and we are going to be, again, talking with Benjamin Sturmey, the Director of Education and Culture at Colish Communities. Uh, this is a third-generation family-owned business that operates specialized memory care, assisted and independent living communities across eight different uh, states in the United uh, United States. Um, I am just thrilled to have you with us, uh, Benjamin. How are you doing today? Well, honestly, I'm a little distracted because between our conversation before we started and, the, and then the discussion you just had about this walker, I'm like taking notes. I'm like wanting to go look all this up online and see if we can get it into our communities. I am so excited about the innovations you're bringing on your radio show. Oh, thank you. I they excite me. You know, as as a person who's walked this journey and who has seen so many people struggle, it just doesn't need to be that hard. There are so many cool opportunities and support systems out there and innovations that are had. Uh, we just need a way to connect people to them, and that's why I love doing this show and being able to talk with, with people like you and your company, you know, and what you're doing today. So thanks for taking the time. I always like to start out by asking each one of my guests if they've been personally touched by dementia in their own family or circle of friends. Yes, my great-grandmother had Alzheimer's disease. And I actually took care of her several times when my grandmother, who was her primary caregiver, had surgery. And so I would go and stay with her and play games with her and cards with her and cook for her and things like that. And and, uh, then visited her for many years when she was in one of those old school nursing homes run by the nuns with six people in her room. Um, And got to experience the the hardness of a grandma who was on a lot of drugs. This was back in the... 90s, and she was on a lot of drugs because of her be, quote-unquote behavior challenges, and uh, so I experienced that. And then my own grandfather has some form of dementia. We don't know exactly what it is or what's, what's causing it, but um, he's still able to communicate with us very well in many respects, but he's slowed down a lot, and so um, I'm going to visit him in a couple weeks again. Um, but yeah, those those two grandparents have experienced it. Okay, well, thanks for for sharing that. I always tell people it doesn't make any difference if you have or not. Most people have been touched in some fashion, even if it's not within family or friends. But, uh, you know, I was talking with a colleague the other day, and, you know, I asked, how's it going? And she's like, you know, my sister and I, we've been in this realm forever. And and then she said, oh, you know, we're starting to see some some signs in our own family. And she's like, we're doing kick the can denial. Because it's in our own family, which is so, so common. And I think the more we can have a comfortable conversation and, you know, talk about this experience, I I still say, even though my mom's journey was 30 years, it was the biggest gift I'll ever receive in my life because Mm. it taught me so many beautiful life lessons. And, boy, if there's not a better time in society where we need acceptance and tolerance and understanding mm-hmm. and open conversation than today. I don't know. I don't know what is. Um, let's talk a, a little bit about you. Now, you're a gerontologist, and you have advocated for seniors, you know, forever, um, especially those, you know, living with dementia. And you chose to work with Coalition Communities. Why is that? What pulled you in and said, this is this is a company I want to align with. Well, I had honestly decided never to work in memory care again um, <laughs> before I came to work for Kelsch. I mm-hmm. had uh, 
you know, started my journey when I was pretty young. I would go and sit and listen to the stories of neighbors who were 80 and 90 years old telling me what it was like to live through World War II and be in a concentration camp. And I was mesmerized by the stories of older people. And then I started volunteering in retirement communities and doing school projects in them. And I felt like I belonged there. Like it was a very distinct sense of calling. Like I belong in these places. Looking back, I think I was starting to, I was enjoying community. Like in many suburban neighborhoods, you don't even know your neighbors. You live a very isolated life. But in a retirement community, you've got 100 older people, 50 younger people, all living life together. And it was a very unique experience to be known, to be cared about by other these older people, and to be a part of their life. But I also got really angry because I saw that the greatest generation that's ever lived on the planet, you could argue, was wasting away watching Judge Judy and playing bingo. And I was like, this has got to change. So I pursued a gerontology degree, and while I was in school, started working at my first assisted living. And, um, you know, it was a really great experience in one way, but in the other, I saw the inhumanity of so many memory care setups where people are locked in a little hallway and their whole life becomes reduced to one little hallway. Um, maybe they can't even get outside unless a staff member, through the graciousness of their heart, brings them outside. And to this day in the United States, many memory care environments are still literally just a hallway or a hall, an L shape and a lot of little rooms and very little spaces for the older person to enjoy life. And so I was just like, I cannot be a part of this. This is not right. And so I got into home care. I got into senior centers. I helped with all kinds of things in the age-in-place um, spectrum of career choices. And then I was living in Vancouver, Washington, and I kept meeting these Kelsch people. And they were these very intelligent people, and they were these very um, – you know, very educated. They knew a lot about dementia. They were very classy people. They weren't, uh, honestly, in, in the senior living industry. There's a lot of there's a lot of people who really shouldn't be there. But the Kelsch people were like always above above par. They were people of integrity. I really liked meeting them. Finally, I come and came and toured one of their communities, and I was I was amazed because here was finally a place where older people with living with dementia had lots of outdoor space that they could access on their own without a staff member accompanying them. There were so many spaces for them to live indoors, like lots of different areas for them to enjoy life. There was a spaciousness. It was a huge, you know, huge environment that was well-designed. And I thought, okay, if I'm ever going to do memory care again, it's going to be something like this. Um, and so they ended up inviting me to open a brand new community in my city, and I um, I did that and was really, really excited to be able to be part of something that I could be proud of. Um, and in my region, it really was one of the best options families had. Like, you really didn't have options like this anywhere in my entire region. So uh, that's what brought me in, was seeing that I could finally stand behind something that treated people with dignity and respect and gave them a lot of freedom of, of just movement and a freedom of space, uh, freedom to live and, and make friends in, in, a, in a more natural environment than some of these other ones. Oh, I love that. And I have to apologize that I was saying Kolish and I actually thought I was pronouncing it correct. So, no, Kelsch. Fine. You're fine. I, <laughs> it's like a lot of times I'll ask and I'm like, no, one <laughs> So, so I'm, I'm bowing here for forgiveness at no, my no, end. I, sh I should know better on yeah. that. No, no, no. Um, well, it sounds it sounds really exciting. I've not been in one of their communities, um, but boy, just from you explaining it, I can feel the difference in my body and my soul as you're talking about it, and just how welcoming and comforting it is. And even though things have changed a lot, you know, I used to work in real estate for 25 years, and back then. People thought if they went into any type of senior environment, it was dark and dingy, and people were tied in a wheelchair and drooling and not communicating, and they're like, I'm not going there, I'm not going there. We've come a long ways, but yet um, not all are as engaging and open and um, airy and, and, and the, the true thought behind 
you know, the design. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of um, communities out there that are kind of cookie cutter. They, they think about it once and then they just kind of punch them out one after another, after another, after another. And, you know, there's a lot of times ways that they can still be improved. And that's never, never really considered. Now, when I was on the website, I mean, I saw like a classic car sitting in a room and, you know, it it just seemed like there was a lot of little surprises there. Why don't you talk a little bit about the thoughtfulness of the design concept uh, that Kelsch uses to to really, you know, serve up a a purpose-filled um, menu to, to feed the hearts and the souls of those that they serve. So Aaron and Judy Kelsch, um, they have dedicated a lot of resources to historical surprises in every memory care community that they design. Uh, they actually do the same thing in their I independent living and assisted livings as well, but definitely much more focus on it in our memory care communities. Um, and it starts with uh, literally hundreds and hundreds of art pieces throughout every memory care, um, which, again, you know, a lot of people, there's a stigma around dementia. It's like, well, why do we need all this art? Let's just create a little, you know, just paint the walls and put up a few pieces. But the person has dementia, they're not going to care. No, 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 no. So, I mean, literally, there, there are walls are pasted with art. Some of it is more classic art. And then some of it is historical art from that particular city because we anticipate most people move into our communities within a five-mile radius. And we, we anticipate that at least half of all of our uh, residents lived in that city for many years, which is the case. And so people will move in and they'll see the swimming hole that they grew up in. They'll see the big, huge church building they used to go to downtown. Like they'll see things that they – we're familiar with because we have a research team that goes out to the historical society in each city we go to and find artifacts from that city, from that region, and then decorate the community with those pictures. So that's one piece is all the artwork, including regional specific artwork. And then in every hall, there's, I think there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven halls or so. Um, there are one or two large curio cabinets that house a lot of historical antiques that are very that are different themes so each curio is a different theme it might be um, vintage children's toys vintage cooking equipment right and so you know some of it's maybe dangerous to just like have laying around so it's behind glass but our residents can we can sit and have a conversation families can sit and have a conversation about oh that's how you used to shave dad I saw that razor and that special brush, and you know they can have those conversations. Every room has a, a shadow box that's indented into the into the wall, so that there can be 3D items as well as pictures and a biography. So every single apartment has a shadow box that's not digital. It's not you know something that's maybe unfamiliar. It's it's print pictures. It's a print biography, and it's real items. Maybe a medal from that person's track team maybe it's a a, a, you know war medallion for someone who served in the military Um, things in the shadow boxes that remind them of their their life and what they accomplished Um, and then Aaron uses a crane and once the building is built he'll put in a classic car or truck or motorcycle in every community in the courtyard so that residents can go outside and can sit in it, can wash it, can talk to their friends about it, can touch and feel a car that they would have grown up with and they're in their lifetime. And so those are a few a few of the pieces that I think are really cool about um, kind of the, the extra special design features that help us reminiscing. Well, I, I love that. I, I think so often, you know, I go into communities and, you know, they, they all have their artwork and stuff, but it's not leveraged. Um, to the people who live there. And even when I was, again, back in my days in real estate, everything seemed to be designed for seniors or that was being built for seniors of, of all different types was a lot of times targeted to their kids <laughs> who they thought were the decision makers. 
um, in the family and making sure that they felt comfortable instead of really being functional and engaging to the people who were going to live there. And that used to just mm-hmm. drive me bonkers. <laughs> and I and I think one of the things that um, I feel is a huge need, and I would love to know if you guys do it there, but is when you do tours with family, really explaining the whys behind the choices. I think that is such a great opportunity to educate people of of why this is a good match and, and why this is going to help your loved one um, or the individual who's making that choice during that time. And, and I, I don't think the majority of communities – do that well. What What are your thoughts on that? That's so. As a gerontologist, right? Like I geek out on all the details of our communities because I can see the thought that went into it and behind it and why. Um, and so, you know, when I would do tours, I would definitely squeeze a lot of that in. However, um, what we teach our team is really to focus less on the built environment and to focus on community, the people who live there, the people who work there, the other family members. So when we're training directors of community relations on how to do tours, one of the basic things we're training them is don't focus so much on the building and pointing out all the bells and whistles. Your job is to help families meet the residents who live here and the the team members who work here. Like that's really what's most important because you know, let's face it, you could have an old building that's not the greatest and the best, but if the community of people who live and work there is amazing, you're probably going to have a better life than being in the most beautiful building on the planet that has a, a team that's not getting together, the team that's not working together, team that's not happy to be there, you know, where you're not going to make friends. And so we really want our team to focus on the relationships and the people so I will say, you know, yes, we do squeeze in the whys on this and that, but we really want to focus on the people. The people are what's really important. And the infrastructure, we've made it the best. We've made it excellent. But I don't know how to say it. It's kind of like, you know, you want to have the best possible wait service, for instance, at a restaurant. But, but mm-hmm. the best possible wait service is almost invisible, right? It's like if the, the truly best, service, customer service, you almost don't even think about because it's so discreet, it's so well done that you find, when you leave, you're like, whoa, I just had great customer service, but they did it so discreetly, you know, mm-hmm. not pointing it out all the time. Does that make sense? That makes a ton of sense. And I, again, I think that that's something I don't see many companies doing. A lot has to do, I think, with staff turnover and not feeling like they have solid teams. Um, within within some of the communities, you know, especially since the, the pandemic and things. But sure. that sense of community is massively huge, and that is where the comfort comes in, and that is where mm-hmm. people blossom, you know, as a, as a whole, where, you know, you end up having families go, what do you mean they're visiting with friends? You know, they, they kind of thought, mm-hmm. well, no, they were pretty isolated. They really had pulled back and it's like, well, that's because of the prior living environment. If it was at home mm-hmm. or in another community, but when there's that comfort and care and really adjusting to, you know, how do you, how do you pull somebody in who is an introvert? People go, well, they're, uh-huh. they're just an introvert, leave them alone. Well, introverts still like to interact at times too. It's just not maybe <laughs> as much or as buoyant as, as an extrovert. Um, and right. so I, it sounds like you guys have a really nice understanding of that. Um, and that can that I tell you a story? Oh, please, please. I want about that specific issue. We had a gentleman move into our Scottsdale community, Amber Creek Inn, and he had lost his wife, he'd lost his home, maybe some pets. Um, he was very depressed, very discouraged, and self isolated to his apartment. He didn't want to do anything with anybody. Nothing. Nothing. He wanted to eat in his apartment, everything. And we, we you know, we worked very hard to, you know, create incentive to be out of the apartment, et cetera, but he just didn't want anything to do with anything. So, um 
But eventually, the team, so the team worked hard to kind of invite him to things and encourage him, et cetera, finally started popping in what we call a good morning club. Seven days a week, we do kind of a communal big circle where everybody gets to know each other and there's exercise and stuff. And he'd pop his head in and kind of listen and think about things a little bit. Well, the, And uh, the team started to learn that he had been a sports coach. And so they decided that they would start a beanbag baseball team and they asked him if he would be the coach. And that changed his life. He mm. became the coach of this beanbag baseball team. He, here he is living with dementia, but he was able to be present enough with his kind of calling back his skills that he helped his team develop their name. He helped them pick which position each person would be, figure out their skills. He would cheerlead for them, et cetera. And um, the team tells me that after they had done some some games and had done a really good job over a season, um, they had like a meeting where they all got together and they were talking about, you know, what everybody had done. And, and he, and all of a sudden, all these other t- team members with dementia start chanting, you know, speech, speech, speech. <laughs> they wanted their coach to speak. And he got up and he gave this rousing speech and the team, you know, my team's all crying, you know, cause you're, they, they, there was such a bond built by this sports coach whose life had just been shattered and he was in a room watching TV all day. And now he was the life of this little community, keep it, the glue keeping it together. I just, I love that story. Oh, well, you know, living with purpose and, and feeling like you're in the zone doesn't change no matter who you are or what you're dealing mm-hmm. with. There, there's just nothing mm-hmm. like that. And to be able to allow that and, and help that, you know, um, expand and blossom. That's a, I, I would have been just bawling too watching that because it, it is, it's such a beautiful, beautiful thing to experience. And, and I think sometimes those things will happen and, and people don't even notice. And it's like, how do you not notice how profound that is? You know, how do you not, how do you not just stop and step into it and just take it all in? You know, because we're so busy being busy, I think, a lot of times. So, gosh, what a gorgeous, gorgeous story. Um, I, I want to make sure that we talk about your innovation lab at Kelsch and, you know, and how you're trying to develop best practices and techniques and, you know, looking at technology from all over the world. Uh, because, again, I'm I'm a big believer in collaboration and sharing knowledge and, you know, um, just improving life. I don't think there's a, I don't think there's a failure in anything we do. I think everything, everything we put out there can be approved upon no matter how good it is. And it kind of sounds to me like that's the, um, the premise of the innovation lab of just lifting everything up, you know, looking it over really well and, and lifting it up. Um, So tell us a little bit more about, about the innovators innovation lab. Yeah, so we work with when we we scour the world for what is being developed that maybe will make a difference to either our families, our residents, or our team members. Right? We're looking at all three groups. What innovations might there be in any country on the planet that we could that we could test and see if it makes a difference? And so in the innovation lab, we work with universities, we work with startups, we work with, you know, companies that maybe are bigger but have a new product. Um, We work with people with just ideas sometimes. And we will um, test what they're doing and see if it works. Typically, we test in two or three communities. We usually do a minimum of six months of testing um, before we, you know, uh, before we give too much feedback or, mm-hmm. or make any decisions about whether it's something we want to use permanently in more places. Um, we typically do a live stream with the founder of that technology so that the world can hear their story and why they do what they do. And we, we push that out onto all the social channels. People can hear that. Um, and so it's a opportunity really to, to see if an idea works in the real world because there's a lot of great ideas. There's a lot of there's billions of dollars of investment right now in what we call age tech and in all kinds of new companies trying new things. 
A lot of it designed by people who really they don't live in a community environment. They don't they've never worked in one and they don't know the realities of a community environment, especially a community environment with dementia. And so we really are a, 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 an opportunity for them to experience real life with their product, their tool, their training, their protocol, whatever it is they've developed. Um, so, yeah, Kelso Innovation Lab is how we pretty much vet anything that we might think of using and then also just be a service to the larger community by participating in university research or other types of, of uh, research that companies want to do. Oh, I love that. And by doing that in – you know, a couple of different communities for an extended period of time, you really get a good feel where mm-hmm. I think sometimes it's, it's uh, you know, a one-shot short-term mm-hmm. evaluation, but you really get be able to be able to feel that. And, and you're right, there's a lot going on in that, that age tech area, but much of it uh, isn't always based in, in reality or, or just kind of that knowledge base. And, <laughs> and what a great, um, what a great resource you guys are, because, you know, even if it, if it doesn't work, there's things that can be tweaked. I, I, I know I run across tons of concepts that it's like, great idea. I don't think it's going to work for these reasons, but if you do this, you know, or you get them thinking of different ways to be able to do it. Um, you know, it comes back e- even better, and um, and is, is can really, really make a, a huge, huge, huge impact. Um, so that is wonderful. Is there is there any? I'm going to put you on the spot. Any product that raises to the to the forefront of, wow, this is something we vetted, and this this was just incredibly life-changing for people. I think one of my, one of my favorites, of course I shouldn't say favorites on live radio, should I, um, was a team out of France that had really found a way to bridge the generational gap between the generation that knows they're loved when someone writes them a physical card or postcard or letter and the generation that has never even used a stamp, right? So two generations that are divided by the way we show love and communication. Like my grandma knows I love her if I send her a postcard or a letter, right? That's how she knows I love her. Maybe a phone call, maybe a phone call. Um, but it's it's very physical, um, whereas the generation that I'm part of and my kids are part of, like, we barely know how to address an envelope because we do everything <laughs> digital. Yeah. <laughs> and so how do you keep those generations connected? Well, what they did over in France, this team, was they said, okay, there's got to be a way to do this. So what they did was they developed an app for, you know, my generation that we could post pictures and messages in, basically, but then it turns into a full-color magazine every Monday for Grandma oh, cool. or Grandpa, oh. right? And so we, we, we worked with them with Kelso Innovation Lab to really try it out and see how it, it worked and then ended up seeing that it was such an impact. We spread it throughout the whole company. And so now every one of our assisted living and, and memory care communities um, has on Mondays a bunch of magazines are printed and each magazine is one person's magazine with pictures and messages from their family member. Sometimes the families in Japan or the families spread out across the United States, but they're getting all these messages in a full-color magazine every Monday morning. Um, and so that, to me, is one of the coolest technologies um, because, again, yeah, you know, some of the, the most innovative stuff is where the digital world impacts the physical world. And Familia is an excellent example of a design that kind of brings things into the physical world. Um, and for dementia, it's, it's extremely important because a lot of the tools out there for dementia are all digital. It's video chat, it's video messaging, or it's some sort of audio messaging. And with dementia, you forget you just heard it. Right, but when it's a physical artifact, you can hang on to it, you can hold it. We have residents who will carry it around in their walker, their wheelchair, will take it to the dining room, will show their friends, look at the my new baby, you know, look at my new grandbaby. Right? They'll hold it, they'll take it, they'll show it to people because it's something they can hang on to, look back at it. And it's not ephemeral, it's something that, that just disappears after you've listened or watched it. Wow, that is way cool. 
that is just way, way cool. I, I've not heard of that. Can you share the name with us, or is it individually branded? Yeah. I don't know how they how they. No, no, no. Yeah, know. it's it's Familio. F A M I L E O. You can look them up online, and they're now available in the United States to um, even um, families whose loved one lives at home. You can, you can purchase the subscriptions or once a month magazine, twice a month magazine, or every week. And I've actually subscribed for my grandfather who lives with my parents, and he gets a magazine every other week from his grandkids. Um, so I do it personally as well as um, we do it for our residents. Oh, that's neat. I'm going to have to check them out. I'd love to have them on the radio show. Yeah, um, oh, you should. They, just <laughs> moved, they just moved a team to the United States, so they actually have a team living in Boston now because their goal is to help spread this across the United States now. Oh, that is absolutely wonderful. And, you know, I was laughing when you were talking about not knowing barely how to address, you know, an envelope <laughs> and stuff. Because I work with my granddaughter. I'm like, no, it has to go here. And, no, the stamp goes over here. And, you know, they're so used to decorating <laughs> things. And so I was like, oh, oh, I get this. But that's one of the things that we really work on is having them use the mail and um, write write letters or draw pictures, you know, whatever, you know, age they're at um, to deliver stuff. And they look and they are looking forward and getting something back in the mail um, when they send something as well. And so that's been kind of kind of fun. But just, again, another way to connect. And it's something you can touch and feel and, you know, save, go back, look at, reminisce. I mean, just so many cool, cool fashions. Uh, with that, I'm gonna have to tell my daughter about that one because that would be fun. Uh, they're having a another baby, so for grandparents, that would be really really mm. fun for them. And then they will also at the end of the year, if you want to purchase, you can purchase a bound hardback book with all the photos and messages from the whole year. So what my family's discovered is this is becoming a treasure for us too because now we have a year of these monthly magazines, weekly magazines, with pictures of my children, right? Mm-hmm. My kids doing things. And now I can order a bound book for the whole year, kind of like a yearbook for your family. Like, it's really cool. Well, that is neat. And, and, and I mean, <laughs> I think of, too, you know, technology is great, but how many times have you heard people, like, just scream, like, oh, no, my pictures are gone. You know, they got wiped yes. off their phone or something, <laughs> you know, you know, it's not backed up. And and so, you know, ha- and again, having something for a lifetime that you can look back at, I, I'm just thinking of parents with kids even with, uh, you know, preparing for those goofy photos you're going to embarrass your kids with at their graduation parties and things like that um you know or when a loved one passes or anniversaries or all of those types of things just collecting that that history and having those stories of of connection and uh they're so important and they get lost in a lot of ways because we're so fast-paced and and quick. I mean, some of the apps nowadays, it's like, you know, it's only up there for a short period of time and then it disappears. You know, no evidence that she even did it or said it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And and I think we're screaming for those connections, that that really um, heart connection uh, between, between people and, uh, you know, having that sense of empathy and compassion and fun and love and you know, even sadness of, of things that we've gone through, you know, that's what makes us who we are. Um, so that, thank you for sharing that one. Um, any other ones that you want to mention? I find this fascinating. Well, sometimes they're internal uh, with our own team designing something. And part of the Kelsey Innovation Lab is to both lift up those things within our own you know, the four walls of our building, so to speak, where, where experts are designing things. And so our culinary director, his name is Joel August, and he's in charge of all 45 buildings and their culinary programs. Um, he saw the downside of purees with older adults because many older adults have doctors who say they need to eat a puree diet. Their dementia has caused them to forget how to swallow and so there's a lot of choking. And so for mm-hmm. some people, they need a puree diet. Um, but it's just not appetizing. 
Sometimes it's just blended food poured in a bowl, right? And it just is not. And then you wonder why are they losing weight? <laughs> who, who wants to eat a, a blended burger in a bowl? I mean, really? Yep. And so Joel worked really hard with some of his chefs to design a program called Purees with Purpose um, or Dining with Dignity. And it is a program where chefs use very inexpensive tools. They don't have to buy big molds and things that look very um, industrial. They use, um, they, they use a couple different techniques. And they'll, they're able to take food that would normally be poured in a bowl, even with a spoon, and they can make a sandwich look like a sandwich. Like it literally looks like a roast beef sandwich with fries, but you eat it with a spoon. And wow. it's pretty incredible to, to hear the stories of how older people that were, had refused to eat, they were not eating, they didn't want to eat anymore. You put a purees with purpose designed um, dinner in front of them, they're eating again. They're polishing it off because it looks like real food and they can eat it with a spoon so they don't choke, but it looks normal. It looks like something they recognize. Um, so anyway, that's been a, a really cool program that I am so proud of Joel for rolling out throughout our company. Um, and I have a couple others, but I wanted to hear if you've, if you've heard of something like that before, because, I mean, that's a big deal. That's a huge deal. You know, I've, I've heard of a, a couple others, and I can't remember the name offhand, but that they were fairly complicated and extremely expensive. Um, for people to to be able to you know um, pull into their communities, and yeah. you know with with budgets the way they are in in most communities, it just it, you know it got complicated, and um, mm-hmm. and yet the need is there. So that sounds really cool, really really cool. It costs us some... about fifty dollars to get started mm-hmm. in a kitchen. Fifty dollars. Oh my god! <laughs> as long as you have a blend, if you have a blender and a RoboCoo and a steamer. Like if you already uh-huh. have those things in your kitchen that you normally would have in a in a kitchen of our size, then it only is about fifty dollars of of tools to be able to to, to pull this off. Um, so really, there's no excuse in 2022 to continue serving uh, purees in a bowl. There's <laughs> just no. Excuse. Oh my gosh, that's that's incredible. Yeah, I hadn't heard nothing even close to that in terms of <laughs> in terms of cost and. And that, I mean, is you know, we've got to be budget budget friendly these days. Mm-hmm. We've got to be so conscientious of how we're delivering things, and uh, and that just sounds uh, that just sounds amazing. And I remember my mom, you know, in a nursing home, and she, you know, towards the end, everything was pureed, and it was just everything was slopped on a plate, and you had to kind of look around the room to see what it was because you had no idea and everything just looked mm. bland and, you know, and I'll say it in gross. I mean, it just didn't look appealing at all. Mm. And yet, mm. you know, you knew she needed to eat it, but everything just kind of mushed, it, you mm. know, it all looked like mashed potatoes on a plate, uh, except a little mm. more watery. And, um, and, and to be able for her to have it, experience that uh, I think would have been just life changing. Yeah. 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 We've also piloted, um, I'm sorry. We've also um, run initiatives, research initiatives with Rendever and mind VR, which you might've had on your show. Mm -hmm. These are virtual reality programs for people living with dementia. Um, That's a ton of fun to bring people back to places that they grew up, take them places they've never been before, get to experience that as a group. Um, we've tested a program called S3 Balance, which is a, a way to do balance exercise for about five to 10 minutes a day. And um, they're demonstrating in different communities 400% reduction in falls, just five to 10 minutes. And they're just doing very basic things like lift one leg up. Let it be up for 10 seconds. Put it down. You know, lift your hands up off the bar. Very simple, very simple. But it took this therapist, you know, about 17 years to get this device correct and safe so you don't have to worry that someone's going to fall over um, because that's everybody's scared of someone falling over. So he worked really hard to be able to put together a device that 
can uh, make sure people don't fall over when they're when they're in that wobbly state of I'm not quite balanced right now. Um, yep. And uh, we've also done a research initiative with Vinia TV, which you might have interviewed. Oh where yeah. It's a yeah TV station just for people living with dementia. Um, so that's been been great. We also worked with Joe and Bella, who I, I think you had them on your show. As well, they're coming maybe. up in a, in about a month. Okay. Um, or the end okay. of the month here, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. that's so we, cool. We worked with them to um, really get the word out about out their incredible adaptive clothing to all of our families. Um, the way we did it is we wanted families to know that when they when they made a good decision for taking care of their loved one by getting adaptive clothing and shoes, they were also helping the care team that was taking care of their family member. So 10% of every purchase goes to say thank you to the care team with specific gifts and prizes for them so that they could, um, you know, know that they're being, they're, they're being valued for the hard work they're doing and caring for the, the older person with dementia. Well, and that is so important. I'll never forget, you know, towards the end of my mom's life in the, in the nursing home, she wasn't mobile uh, really mm-hmm. at all. And she was a heavier woman. And, my daughter went up one day to clean out her closet and in her closet was like a huge like leaf bag, not just a garbage bag, but like a huge leaf bag full of brand new clothes that were torn because mm. they were, they were pulling on them mm. and, and it wasn't, and I was livid. I was just, I mean, mm. they were ripping stuff, not even seams, but just ripping material. Oh it was bad. And I, and I was, and, and this was a community I adored for many, my, she lived there 14 years and they were excellent. And then they lost three team members all at once in her community mm. and they never regained, you know, kind mm. of that, that unity and sense of community. But, uh, mm. you know, it was just lack of, lack of training or following the training, whatever. Mm-hmm. And and we mm-hmm. could never figure out, like, where's all our clothes? I just bought our bunch of clothes. Well, here they were in this big rip. Mm-hmm. And then we found she, mm-hmm. was, they, she was even wearing stuff that was ripped out, like in the behind. But we didn't know that because she was sitting down. And they would just kind of tuck it in around her. It was just like, you know, <laughs> so this stuff really does matter, folks, on a lot of levels, a lot of levels. Yeah. Lot of levels. Um, and mm-hmm. it, it impacts not just, you know, the person you're caring for, but like you said, the key, the, the care team around them and their family, family members as well. I, I know it had a huge impact on me and um, I, I, it was, I, I struggled with that. I really, really struggled with that. I understood, you know, um, shortage of staff. I understood all of the, the reasons it could happen, but mm-hmm. I didn't understand why why no one ever talked to me about that because mm-hmm. we could have used different types of clothing to avoid that. And, you know, she would have been well cared for. It would have been less, you know, less everything for everybody in that process, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Yeah. With that. And uh, Zinnia TV, they were one of the Moz Award winners. In fact, I'm, yeah. interviewing, I'm right. interviewing the 2020, a uh, couple of the, the winners this afternoon, and that'll go out, I think, like on the oh, 15th. Um, okay. There's there's also, I'll just mention, and you, you might know of these guys too, but um, Memory Lane TV, which has a wide variety of um, just great scenic, a variety of scenic views, um, kind mm. of like Zinnia, but for all different levels. I think it's kind of good for everybody um, mm. nowadays because everyone kind of wants to turn the TV off and get away from the politics and just the chaos in mm. the world. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> and they've created some things to help people eat or go to sleep and, and things like that as well. But that's called Memory Lane TV. Um and then there's also, I don't know if you've heard of Saltbox TV, but that was uh, that's a free online streaming service designed specifically for seniors. And so it has old movies and TV shows, but they're doing some um, originals themselves, educational programs, but again, keyword designed for them and free, um, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So and I hear there's three divas, three dementia divas on that uh, that channel as well. Is that right? Yeah, we're just we're just shot <laughs> our first pilot that that probably won't come out till like December with uh, Tifa and okay. Dr. Macy and myself. And yeah, that's exciting. That's something I've wanted for I can't, I can't even tell you how many years. I think it's just such a need to be able to deliver upbeat information uh, that will help people you know, deal and, and live fully, you know, alongside dementia graciously. I, I just think that that's a, a very, very important thing. So, yeah, there's all kinds of fun stuff going on out there. Do you guys have anything on your plate for the future that you're not doing, but you're you're thinking about or it's on the list or and that you can share with us? Well, I think, you know, you mentioned family communication being so important and one of the things that was very stressful for you as a family member. Mm-hmm. And I think that for me as a gerontologist, I feel like that's one of the biggest areas that senior living needs to grow is mm-hmm. how do you communicate with the family mm-hmm. unit? How do you – I mean, it's hard enough to communicate between the community and the one person who's the responsible party. But how do you communicate with the whole family unit on top of that? Because yeah. everybody in the family has different needs associated with their loved one, their grandma, their grandpa, their husband, their wife, or their mother. You know, all They all have a need. And so one of the things that we're working on is really looking at how to expand the use of familio to communicate with the families. Because the app that the families post messages in can also receive messages from our team. And mm-hmm. so because you get the whole family unit on that app, you've got all the 10 grandkids, you've got the brothers, the sisters, you know, everybody's on the app. How can we use that to keep everybody engaged? What artwork did grandma do this week? What did she make a new friend? You know, did she get to go on a trip? Did she, what did she, did she say something about one of the grandkids in a conversation? And now we can let that grandchild know that she's remembering you and she's talking about you to her friends. Can mm-hmm. we let them know that there's important things coming up and opportunities to come and visit that are fun? And can we engage the family so that it doesn't feel like a black box? With so much of senior living for the family feels like a scary I'm going to walk in this building. I don't know anybody except for my grandma. And I don't know what's really going on when I'm not there. And it's it's very scary for a lot of families. And so that's one of my big initiatives over this next year is to really look at family communication and how we can improve that across all of our memory care communities. Um, That's big for me. That's a huge, huge need. And, and, you know, it gets so complicated because every family, I, I mean, the, just the family dynamics within a family. And then, <laughs> and then you have, you know, split families, multiple families. Yes. I mean, you, you know, step families, you, whatever you want to call them, you know, baby mama <laughs> families. Um, uh-huh. There's so many different names. The, the levels um, of, of functionality and, and respect mm-hmm. and roles they've played um, you know, throughout the years and stuff, it gets really, really interesting. I have a, a program that I developed called uh, Conscious Caring Support Program, and it, mm. it, it, it deals with that emotional side because I think mm. families, too, need help in terms of processing their emotions and how mm-hmm. do you do that in a, in a safe fashion um, mm-hmm. so, that, so that they can function together. Because, you know, there's a lot of families out there that, uh, I, I don't know about you, but one of the most common questions I get is, how do I get my siblings to change, you know, or other members of the family to see mm-hmm. my side? And it's kind of like, well, you got to see their side too, <laughs> you know. Yeah, um, yeah. To get missed a lot of times. Um, and, you know, how do you make that a a doable process for people and and sometimes you can't you know depending on the Mm -hmm. dynamics but uh, you know I love um, that intergenerational space that you're talking about in terms of sharing things and keeping people connected and and allowing the kids to be involved because so often they're cut out of what's going on and they know that the family dynamics have changed Um, and a lot of times they think it's their fault because they're not even told the details. And I've heard that, you know, from mm-hmm. little kids up to, um, you know, high schoolers going, I'm just not that important in the family anymore. 
because wow. mom and dad are busy over here. And, and so trying to find that balance and support for everyone so so people can see that and and having that yeah. uh having that empathy and compassion and understanding and acceptance i think grow is is a beautiful beautiful thing to to watch the other well. yeah the other one that i think is ongoing and is still in its infancy is bringing a program called humanitude to the united states Mm-hmm. And that has been a multi-year process. We researched their work by doing multiple initiatives in our communities where we had these trainers from Europe and Asia come and do a training that they do over there regarding caring for people with dementia that's not available in the United States yet. And we saw just tremendous impact on residents. It's a four-day class that you teach to your care team and your nurses, hands-on. They're actually practicing what they're learning within those four days during morning routines and then debriefing the rest of the day and getting ready for the next day to try to do it better. So by day four, we, we you measure 10, 10 residents that you're going to work with that week, and you pick your 10 residents with the most challenging, most difficult care situations, difficult pain situations, difficult communication issues, et cetera. And then you see by day four if your team can use these tools, these techniques, to actually make a difference. And we saw about 90% resolution of challenges within four days when the teams were using this. So now we're on this path to try to bring humanity to the United States. Challenges we're looking for someone who wants to train people, who's licensed as a nurse or a physical therapist or something like that, but who knows uh, Portuguese or Spanish or Japanese or French because we're going to have to send them to Europe to learn um, Mm -hmm. because there's nobody who speaks English in the world. There's one person in the whole world who knows these tools and techniques in Singapore and Thailand and and, uh, Europe. There's only one person who speaks English out of all the trainers in the world. Um, So we're trying to to work on getting some more English-speaking trainers so we can really get these amazing, amazing care techniques to the United States. Yeah, I had heard about them um, years ago. There was someone who was trying to get it started in, in the U.S. I want to say back in, down in Texas or something some time ago. Mm-hmm. And it was, and it was, it was pretty interesting. And I've, I've always wondered, you know, what's happened because I haven't heard it spread and yet, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of hearing and seeing what was going on, it, it just sounded incredible, the stories, you know, that I was yeah. hearing from people who had gone through that. So that would be wonderful. You would think, you know, uh, there would be funding for that, especially when they're looking, you know, at at um, all the different cultures that we're trying to serve. And and that, you know, identity of that has, has really raised uh, profile. That would be ideal. Uh, you know, to, well, to get the funding. We got funding. We got funding out the wazoo for a lot of this. It's the mm-hmm. finding the right people, the people okay. who are willing to have a traveling lifestyle, who have a license of some sort in healthcare, and mm-hmm. who maybe know other languages. <laughs> Getting mm-hmm. all three of those, it's been really hard to find someone who matches all three. So, okay. Um, well, and especially yeah. during the pandemic and all of that stuff, too, it's made it <laughs> sure. much more yeah. complicated. Well, I can't believe our hour is just about up. We've got just a little over a minute left, and I want to make sure that we um, get your, your website and contact information out. So people can go to the website, which is K O E L. SCHSeniorCommunities.com, or you can find them on Facebook um, at uh, Kelsch Communities LLC. You're also on LinkedIn as Kelsch Communities, and then, of course, they can find you on LinkedIn as well at Benjamin, and then last name is S-U-R. Am I? And um, thank you so much. This has been such a fun conversation. Um, it always is talking with you and uh, just upbeat and makes me feel so hopeful. And I, I love when I when I leave a show feeling filled with hope and that the world is going to be a better place because of the the guests I talk to. So um, 
to our listeners, please like, click, and share. Don't keep these nuggets to yourself. We have to spread the word of all the good work that's going on uh, to bring more people comfort in, in their caring journey. So, again, Benjamin, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. It's always a pleasure being with you, Lori. Thank you for having us. Thank you. We will talk with you all on Thursday again. Bye now. It's time to rethink, renew, and reimagine retirement. Hey, everybody. Jared Sebesta here, host of Retire Repurposed. Now, this podcast is about the non-financial parts of retirement, which many times can be even more challenging than the financial. We believe retirement is not the end, rather the beginning of what could be the most impactful, purposeful, and fulfilling season of a person's life. So don't retire. Become repurposed. To listen now, search Retire Repurposed on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.